0: You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine today we wrap up our series called One Another. We've been looking at a few of these many instructions in the New Testament geared towards followers of Jesus. We've mentioned before several times there's so many commandments and instructions and counsel for how we are to treat people in our life outside of the household of faith. And then there's about a hundred commands or so in the New Testament just geared towards followers of Jesus. And we've been looking at a handful of Of those. And we come to a close with this one. Outdo one another with honor. You'll notice how much this passage affirms the reality uh, that Christians are connected. Christians aren't alone, they're not isolated, and they're connected to one another. And, And because they're connected to one another, they have specific responsibilities and opportunities to exhort, to encourage, to affirm, to bless, and even to correct and give warning at times when needed. And sadly, when we look at people and how we often uh, treat one another, and how people in the world treat one another, we seldom see this consistent example of honor shown to one another, as the Bible describes. Uh, it doesn't seem as if people are competing with trying to honor another person better than that person is honoring them. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, Honor, what does that mean? Honor, you know, honoring uh, another person. We're used to seeing the command to honor God. And that's something we've come to notice in the Bible and even uh, become familiar with. We know what it means to honor God, but not so much this command to honor another person. To honor God is to give him respect, to glorify him, uh, to acknowledge his opinion, his influence, and in our life as something that is most important, is to give him his due praise. And so to honor another person is to consider doing the same, to consider how to esteem that person to think of that another person, to regard another person when we are going about our lives and making decisions, to value another person, and even at times when necessary to adjust our habits and attitudes for the benefit of that person. It's to think about how I'm living my life in relationship to that person, and we change our life because we're actually regarding that person. That's what it means to honor another person. I'm reminded of a story of a married couple going into uh, the mall. They become separated uh, from each other. This happens often in the mall. You, know, you guys have heard of a mall, right? I don't know if you've been to one lately. Uh, it's a collection of a lot of different stores together. Um, and anyway, so this this married couple becomes separated in the mall, and it's time to go. The wife becomes growingly, you know, frustrated with her husband who has wandered off, and she hasn't been able to get a hold of him uh, on his cell phone. She keeps calling. She finally gets a hold of him and is able to get him on the cell phone. And says, "Where are you? I have been trying to get a hold of you. We have a lot going on today. We need to get going. Why did you wander off?" And you know, he replied with a, a gentle and and controlled voice. He said, "Sweetheart, I'm sorry, uh, but do you remember?" do you remember that jewelry store we went to about 10 years ago? Uh, You fell in love with that diamond necklace and at the time we decided not to get it, our air conditioning unit had just broken and we had to use our emergency fund for that. Tears began to well up in her eyes and she says softly, yes, I remember that store very well. And the husband says, well, I'm I'm in the gun shop just next door to that jewelry store. (laughs) (laughs) So come and find me when you're able to. I love that. You see, our relationships often look a lot more like that, don't they? Like that's so a rather than seeking opportunities, how can we think of others with regard, with honor? We typically just think of ourselves. And that's the point of that story. That's kind of the that's what we're up against in our life and in our culture. We just kind of think of ourselves. How will this impact me? I'm sorry you're upset, I'm sorry you're frustrated, I'm sorry you've got things going on, but but I've got things going on too. And I just gotta I have to think about myself right now. And so we don't see this habit in, in the world and, and, and in our lives, often in the church even, that there's people that are just trying to outdo another with honor, that they're trying to think of the another person, that their habits and attitudes and, and dreams and values and, and everything is, is, is to outdo another with honor. showing showing respect, showing care to help us understand this vital command to the church our passage mentions three pairs of opposites that will help us understand how do we do this and live as people who want to be more like Jesus, to outdo one another in showing honor. And here are the three pairs of opposites. We are many, and yet we are one. We have many callings, and yet we have one calling. We have received different graces, and yet we've received the same grace. And so these, all of these, these different opposites, seems like, they seem like paradoxes. They seem like opposing contradictions, and yet they're paired together, and, and both can be true. And the better we understand these three pairs of opposites, the better we can understand how we are to navigate our relationships and our lives. So let's, let's look at God's Word, and first, let's look at this first pair. We are many, and we are one. So the command in our passage is to outdo one another with honor. And the reason that this, the reason we are to outdo one another with honor is because of an, another one another passage just previously here in verse five though we are many, we are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. The reason we are to outdo one another in showing honor is because we are many, but we are one. We are members of each other. The metaphor for the church as a body is probably one of the most central New Testament images uh, for our identity as followers of Jesus that we are many, yet one, that we are a body. Maybe you've heard this metaphor used when talking about the importance of each member of the body. Uh, No individual member is insignificant. Just like your physical body, every part of your body is useful and important and contributes to the overall health of your body, even if you're the pinky toe, right? Because if you've ever caught your pinky toe on a dresser at night, you know how important that pinky toe is and how if that toe hurts, then your whole body hurts. And so we see that when one person's impacted, the whole body is impacted, and so we see our identity is rooted in, well, we're individual members, and yet we contribute to the overall health of each other. But the analogy goes even further, and honestly, it's, we need to go further with it because it's more profound. And Because merely just rejoicing in the blessings of others and mourning with those who are grieving, um, it, it needs to go beyond just that kind of connection. But that we would never—here's the analogy—if we take it to its fullest extent—that we would never consider making decisions in in our life without considering how it might affect one another. You know, a married man, for instance, must take into account his wife and kids before taking a job in another town. Uh, that would be a good thing to consider. Right? And so that kind of connection, that kind of, you know, there's no other place in the Bible that describes this kind of separateness and unity at the same time than a marriage. The relationship with God and his people, the relationship with a husband and his wife, and the relationship with followers of Jesus and one another. That's it. And the analogy, the the, the picture of Christ's love for us that is the supreme and preeminent example and demonstration of love. And he brings us into that same kind of relationship. Not, so, not that we're just like kind of bouncing around and having like friendship with one another, but that we would be so connected, so unified in a bond of friendship and commitment and unity and service to the point that we would consider how it impacts each other by our daily decisions, jobs we take, houses we move into. If we take a job out of state, if we move to a house uh, further away from the church, if it, whatever decision, uh, we consider one another. You see, the church ought to function this way. We're many and we are individuals. We are individual, you know, free-thinking people, moving in a bunch of different directions. We have our jobs, we have our lives, and, and, and there's much that we do apart from one another. And yet we have this spiritual identity that has a real physical reality to it, that we are one body. You see, when Jesus brings us into relationship with himself, he also brings us into relationship with others. It's not something we choose. Um, We belong to God and we belong to one another. To honor God is to make decisions with regard to him. And so to honor one another is to make decisions with regard to the community in which we belong. This means when it comes to church participation, we don't want to function as some people, you know, just telling other people what to do, some people following, and then most of the people just kind of watching. It's that we see all of ourselves interconnected and interrelated. We want to embrace this identity as a body and consider how our actions and behaviors affect the overall health of the body. I'll give you a few examples, and I, and I promise I, these are not. These are contemplative questions. These are, for, these are for contemplation. They're not rebuke. They're not correction. Uh, I'm not challenging any specific person when I ask these questions. I want that to be clear, but I think they're good questions to think about for our, own, for our own analysis. If you get into a habit of not gathering for weekly worship, do you ever consider how this might impact the well-being of others in the church? You know, on those days when you just don't want to get up and the, you don't want to get the kids out of bed and into church, does it ever cross your mind that that would cause maybe someone who, someone who needs to hear your encouragement, someone who needs to see you, someone who needs to see you praising God in hard times, someone who is blessed by witnessing you sitting under the teaching of God's word, does it ever recur to you that that action could impact the life of somebody else? Does it ever cross your mind that we're connected in that kind of way? Is there somebody that needs to be reminded of the gospel hope that we have in Jesus Christ that they fail to hear because because you didn't show up? If you're considering moving or taking a job out of state, does the the impact it will have on your church ever factor into your decision-making? If you were to leave the church, and there's good reasons, and, and and people do that often. It's okay to leave a church. It's okay to go to a different church, even in the same town. But if you were to leave the church, would we suffer? Relationally, spiritually, financially? Would we hurt as a church if you never showed up again? Maybe that one stung a little bit, did it? <laughs> and again, this isn't confrontational. I'm not being snarky or confrontational just for the sake of being edgy or confrontational. But... It, But in wanting to be faithful to God's word and the heart of this passage, I realize that these topics and questions are are really so rarely ever discussed. The church is, is not a club, but something different and much better. And these conversations we don't talk about as a church ever. Like, do we ever have these blunt conversations of like, do you realize the spiritual benefit that you give to the church by your presence, by your serving, by your charitable presence, and do you realize that as a follower of Jesus, your, your absence, your, your laziness, your, as he talks here, and, and don't be slothful, but, be, but, but serve with zeal, that that has an impact on the body. Do you realize that you are that significant, you're that important, that when we are welcomed into the body of Christ because of the blood of Jesus, when we're adopted into his family, each of us are a spiritual stone building up that spiritual body. Not, a, not not many of us realize that. It's, it's, a, it's common to view the church like a club rather than something much more and different. We don't want you know, people in our business. We we don't we want to come to church, we want to consume what we need, and then we want to leave without any strings attached. That's kind of the common way. That's how the world works. That's the common view of church. A club has a bunch of members connected only by common interest. A church is the body of Christ. The church is connected by the immeasurable grace of God and is meant to define every human experience in our lives. Every human experience and every human emotion that you experience is meant to be defined by the reality of what Jesus has done for us and the people he has called us to. And that's radical. I mean, that is different. That is strange and absurd even. To think that there could be, why would I do that with people I barely know? And then we start seeing the, much more of God's word and wisdom in scripture as how we are to relate to one another. That we don't give up in showing love. That we need to be gracious. That it's hard to live in community with others. That it's messy and uncomfortable. And everything in us often resists that kind of commitment to other people. But in that, that is where we see God's Message it to us. It says, but that's, but that's what I have with you. That's how much I love you. Given my life to you. The fullness of, of who I am. I, I'm, I dwell with you. I love you. I gave my life and we are united and inseparable. This is the reason why we are to outdo one another in showing honor. Not out of a sense of obligation, or self-righteousness, but out of a sense that because Christ has bound us together in love, he also binds us in love with God, he binds us together in love with one another. Nothing can cripple the health of a church community as quickly as the mentality that the church exists to manage the comfort and expectations of its individual members. I think next week we'll have half of you here. <laughs> I'm no, just kidding. Why is it hard to hear? Why is this is uncomfortable. Anybody else? Is the air on? Yes, I'm uncomfortable. But this is where the gospel confronts our, our consumerism, our, our worldly mentality. This isn't something to feel like insecure about, and, and, and I'm not saying these things to shame you, because we have safety in the grace of God. We have comfort in his forgiveness. And in order to enjoy his blessings, we must look at his word and say, how does this apply to my life? Am I connected to others as he says I should be? You know, as Christians, we, we are connected. We are members one of another. We have specific responsibilities and opportunities to exhort and to admonish and to encourage one another. And it's through this context, as we live out this context, the grace of God transforms us. If there is anything that we've learned over the course of the last 16 months is isolation cripples. Isolation destroys. Isolation is not our design. Seeking our own interests and thinking only of what is good for us will malnourish our spiritual health. And we are brought together, and it's a great joy. It takes us to this second set of opposites in our passage that is really good, is that we have many callings and yet one calling. Right? And so we're interconnected, we're connected with one another, and he goes further. The Apostle Paul is writing this. He's, he's now telling us how we each function. What is God calling me to do? Right? If I had a nickel for every time someone asked me that, I wouldn't have to be paid to be your pastor anymore. Because that's what we all want to know. What is God calling me to do? What do I do with my life? What am I good at? How do I serve? Martin Luther felt it was so important to find our unique calling in life because it helped each of us better demonstrate our faith and transform the world around us. He felt it was so important for us to know our calling, to know our unique purpose and unique function within the world, because that was the avenue by which we would worship God and express our faith in God, but also transform the world around us. It's a difficult question to discover, and also a very simple, easy question to answer. Let's take the difficult first. Our passage uses the word function. Another word for this could be work or uh, vocation or calling. Calling is not to be confused with merely a a job, but it's that unique design with which God has shaped each of us according to his grace in order to glorify God and to bless people around us. So God has uniquely gifted us. He's uniquely shaped us. He's uniquely called us. A calling from outside of ourselves for blessing others and to expressing our faith, Paul knew this. In verse three, he says it. He says, "I know my function. I know my calling, and that's why I'm writing these things to you." Like he had, the, he had this awareness. He had gone through his personal assessment. You know, he took his Myers Briggs. He knew what his calling was, and he says, "This is what God has called me to do." And so I'm writing to you. What are you called to do? It may not be what Paul's called to do. Likely likely not. And we should actually spend a good deal of time evaluating our strengths, our our experiences, our stories, the way way that God has filled us with a passion for himself and for others. We should think about what we enjoy doing and the ways that God has impacted our life and and asking those questions. God, how how have you uniquely fitted me, gifted me, called me? To transform the world around me. And Paul knew his. And so our calling, the the specific way that we bless one another, is going to be different. And this is uh, a gift from God. This is because of his grace. Um, However, we also have one calling. Each of us have the same calling. And the same calling that becomes the preeminent umbrella that motivates and informs every subordinate calling. And it's a really short answer in verse 11. Serve the Lord. What am I to do? Serve the Lord. What's my calling in life? Serve the Lord. I really want to be involved in in the church and be a blessing to others. How do I do that? First thing, do anything you do out of a motivation to serve and honor Christ. Think of the reason that you might serve in the kid's room or donate your time or money or read a Bible lesson to an elementary kid in our church or greet at the door or clean up coffee grounds after the service. Why would you do any of that? First and foremost, out of an act of love for Jesus, to serve him, Paul warns us in the opening of our passage, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. You know, why does he need to say that? Why does he need to say, don't think of yourself more highly than you should, right before he goes into this this sermon on spiritual gifts and how each of us are different and how we ought to bless one another? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Because pride begins in the mind, it ruins relationships, it ruins a humble act of service, it ruins generosity pride, what pride does is says, that's too low for me. I was made for bigger things. I was made for more important things. Do you know how much schooling I have. Do you know how gifted I am? I have strengths and a set of skills that are very unique. And Jesus says, no one is above their master. And if I serve you, you ought to serve others. There's, There's no There's nothing too low for any of us. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. If you need the grace of God, if you are a sinner saved by grace and everything that you have is a gift of God's grace, even your gifts, even your strengths, even your talents, even your abilities, even your insights, whether you're book smart or street smart, everything you've been given is a gift from God. And so if God says, if everything you have is a gift, then you don't get to brag about anything. And so everything we do is an act of service to God. That's why we do it. We don't do it to show off and highlight our talents. We don't do it to, to be recognized by others. Pride attempts to convince us of all the reasons why we shouldn't help others, but Paul says, well, then don't do it for others primarily. Do it out of service to Christ. That changes us. It changes our motivation. It changes our, our, our attitude. It changes everything. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said, the best person in the church is the one willing to be a doormat for all to wipe their boots on so long that Christ is glorified. Now, personally, I think that's a little off. I don't really like that. Um, it's good to have some boundaries in relationships, right? But, I, but here's what I do like about what he said. Uh, and I, I think this was his point. Our chief end in serving, volunteering, sacrificing is to serve Christ. And this will mean that all that we do We do for Christ, and as Christ did, not seeking to be served, but seeking to serve others. And we have this zeal and this compassion that builds up in us. That if I can, if I am here and God has put me in this community, then I can be useful to build up the faith and well-being of another person, and that glorifies Jesus, and that's what I want to do. And that is my main reason for doing any of it, is to give God praise because I know the grace that I have received. The greater we understand how needy and we are of the grace of God, the more willing we will be able to just sacrifice for others. So we don't forget our primary calling when pursuing our individual callings. We're individually called. We're individually strengthened and gifted. But finally, we've received different graces, but one grace. Let's finish it up with this one here. In the context of the church, God has equipped us with spiritual gifts. Not for ourselves, but for the honor of another. See again in verse six through eight, and I want to read that again together. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You know, this is really interesting, isn't it? It's like, it's really profound, isn't it? How should I serve with a heart of service? Oh, how should I teach like a good teacher? (laughs) Like, this is really weird. How should I exhort? Do it as one who exhorts. Like, what? I don't understand here. The word here for gift is charisma, where we get our English word, oh, charisma. And um, (laughs) charismatic. You're familiar with that. Someone described as having charisma. What does that mean? This person is like endowed with some divine inspiration of personality, right? For the introverts, that's just called annoying. No, I'm kidding. And the word for grace is charis. It's a root of charisma. Charis and charisma, they go hand in hand. What's happening here is simple and very beautiful. The gift that God gives us overflows into acts of love, service, and compassion to others. So what is happening here is Paul's saying, when the gift of God comes into you, it overflows into gifts to others. So to the degree that we are receiving the grace of God will be the degree that we give out grace to others. The order is so important. We are given grace in order to show grace. We do not show grace in order to receive grace. We do not show grace in order to receive grace. We do not serve others in order to be served by them. We serve others because we have been served by God. Churches are full of people trying to prove themselves and their worth through what they do. Do I matter? Am I important? Am I acceptable? Do I belong? By all the things that we do. And what we ought to be doing instead is comparing how we can be a better servant than another. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, consider that. What if we were a church that was just made up of people showing off? how we can think of others better than them. You know, I, could, I, could, I could lay down my whole life for you. Oh yeah, well, I can lay infinity plus one, beat that. <laughs> Churches are filled with people who under, misunderstand the order. They're trying to serve, they're trying to do, because they've just been trying to do for God their whole life, to be loved and to feel like they belong and forgiven. And here we are reminded that we have received grace, the immeasurable blessing of God, the forgiveness of God. We are saved sinners. We are more valued than we ever could imagine. We're more loved than we ever thought possible. And we're truly accepted by the only one whose opinion really matters. And knowing this, that deep in our hearts, will transform us. All of our most valiant efforts in life earn us only God's judgment, and we are saved entirely, completely, and thoroughly because of the grace of God. If we truly believe that everything we have is a gift, then we would have no need to brag about anything we would have no need to take the spotlight or to get the recognition because we are fully loved. Everything we need and everything we have has been given to us. How will that transform our community as as, as followers of Jesus? How will that transform how we ser- show compassion, generosity, graciousness? How will that transform the joy that we have when we serve in a task that is often thankless and something where we just don't want to do. Whenever we talk about serving the church or others, we must always remember who we are. We're sinners saved by grace. And yet even though we have the same grace, we're, we're not clones. right? We, we all have this one grace of God given to the church, but we're not clones, we're not robots, we're not just cookie-cutter people. Some have speaking skills, some have leadership skills. Some have encouragement skills, some have comfort skills. Some have serving skills and numchuck skills. Sorry, we were in a serious moment. Hospitality. You know, isn't that interesting? He says, show hospitality to all. Seek to show hospitality. Seek to be a hospitable person. Our ministry teams are simply channels to express the grace of God to others. This is not clickbait, right? I'm I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to say, oh, how convenient. He's preaching on serving the same week that he's asking for volunteers. I'm not manipulating you. I'm not trying to trick you. This is not the point. Our teams are not the point. The end is not the team. The end is to see the honor of Christ and the love of God flowing through our hearts and our lives together. And these are merely channels of seeing that happen. The fruit of the gospel is the goal, not the vehicle and avenue that gets us there. Yeah, I want to close with this passage, uh, this, with Paul's gentle reminder. Let love be genuine. Loving others is better than any gift that you bring. Loving others is better than any skill you have. Love is the ultimate, ultimate thing that we must all possess. It's better than your gifts. It's better than your ability. It's better than your time or your money. And so Paul says, so do whatever you do, do it with a sincere heart. Like let it be an, a flow of love because if you do not love and you're doing it begrudgingly, you're doing it out of self-righteousness, you're doing it out of bitterness, it, it, it's, it's just noise. So let it be genuine. Desiring to serve the Lord and bless others with a sincere heart, is, it has greater impact to the kingdom of God than a skilled volunteer who just begrudgingly puts in their time. Do you believe that? A person filled with the love of God can do more for the kingdom of God than the most trained and skilled person out there. So our response is to love others. And when we love others, it's a response of praise to God for how he's loved us. We are connected to one another. And so outdo one another in showing honor And let the joy of God fill your hearts as you do so.